This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And I suck you up and I spit you out and I play with your babies till you scream Welcome to Burn It All Down, the sport and feminism podcast you need. Today we've got Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports writer, cat lover in Toronto, Canada. Jessica Luther, independent writer and author of Unsportsmanlike Conduct, College Football and the Politics of Rape in Austin, Texas. Lindsay Gibbs, the hardest working wordsmith at Think Progress in D.C., And I'm Brenda Elsie, Associate Professor of History at Hofstra University, currently on a Fulbright in La Plata, Argentina. In spirit, we also have co-host Amira Rose Davis, Assistant Professor of History and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Penn State, who unfortunately cannot be with us today at our happy birthday episode. (gasps) Happy Happy birthday! Happy birthday! It's been one year since Burn It All Down began. We are one year old. It feels like a... I feel much older than that. (laughs) (laughs) Before we even get to that, we want to thank all of our listeners for this year. This podcast has truly been a labor of love. And at the same time, sometimes it's a costly one. So I also want to shout out and express our undying gratitude for all of those who perhaps first supported us in the GoFundMe and now have contributed to our Patreon campaign. If you're interested, check out the patreon.com backslash burn it all down. Subscribers get extra content, including a monthly newsletter, extra segments, interviews, and more. And it's a cool community. And I just, before we even start, want to just say how much we've appreciated the support and there's no way we would have gotten here without it. This week, we're going to talk about our birthday, ourselves, the state of sports media. We've got two special interviews, a soon to be an already legend. Uh, Lindsay interviews the WNBA's huge talent, Elena Deladon. Amira chats with Wyoming Tyus, a two-time Olympian. We'll burn some awful things in sports, celebrate badass women, and find some good in our worlds. So, okay, we're not babies anymore. We're not baby. <laughs> well, not are we not? Is it one still? I guess we're kind. We're not infants. We're not, we're not toddling yet. <laughs> no, I guess yeah. We're barely walking. Uh, I don't know. I felt like we've been in our terrible twos for a while now, personally. But, we've but done you know it. what? I'm I'm wearing a party hat. You can't see me, but I have a party hat on. Shreen, I always picture you with a party hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's really been something. Like, it's really amazing to me when I think about it that we do this every week, every single week for one year. We have produced an episode of this podcast, and I'm just so proud of that. Like, when I really think about yeah. what we've accomplished, it's it's quite amazing. Yeah, it's, I completely I, yeah, agree. It's I a mean, lot more than I think we started out with. Yeah. In and, terms of a vision and a goal. But we're we're so good. <laughs> 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 so true, Shereen. 
you know, it's just, I just, it's just sounds, I can't talk about this without sounding just so cheesy, but I really do learn so much every week from all of you. And I, our guest list is probably what I'm most proud of. No offense, (laughs) but just like, I look back at at the women and, you know, non-binary people we've talked with over the past year and, they're just the most remarkable group of people. And, you know, we set out a year ago, we, we talk about this sometime, and I think people disconstrue this as being an exclusionary thing, but it's not at all. You know, we just said, this is, there's no hashtag ban men here, but we just said, if we can find a, a woman or non-binary person to talk about this top, a topic that, you know, we're interested in talking on that week, like, let's look there first. And it's just, that's just what we've done. That's the motto we followed. And it's been easy. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's been easy to you find can do people. it. Like, it's so possible. Right. It's just, and, and that's what's like remarkable. And, you know, I keep saying, you know, look, if LeBron James wants to come on and talk about feminism, like, there's always a spot open, but like, <laughs> right. But, it, it, <laughs> but it's not, and I think that's just what I want to tell people. Like, it's not that hard. You just have to be purposeful about it. Okay, so to wrap up our birthday celebration, should we just really quickly dream guests? This was in the newsletter this month, but I think worth worth visiting really quickly. Well, who's your dream guest for this coming year? I'm so obvious in my answer of Serena. Like, I think <laughs> everyone predicted that. I also would love to talk to Doris Burke. I think having Doris Burke on this program would oh. be spectacular. Okay, she was Shereen. so good calling the game last night. I think that, of course, Nadine Adim is on my list of tops. You know this. I echo Serena, obviously. I also would really be interested in getting Christine Sinclair, captain of the Portland Thorns. And the would King you just Women's cry National the whole team. time, Shereen? Would you just be crying? Uh, I would <laughs> have muffled sobs, I believe. I would try to compose myself in that way. I also, you know, just, there's so many, but those are the ones that really, really pop out at me. Also, and I think this is very attainable, hopefully, I've been talking a lot about Moya Dodd, and we have talked a lot about Moya Dodd on this podcast. We actually haven't had Moya on. And um, this isn't, you know, a a logistics thing. It's just that there's so much that she contribute. And she's a wonderful, uh, you know, friend of the show and a flamethrower. And I would, I think just to have her on as a chat would be brilliant. And I'm so excited for that. Lens? Yeah, I mean, Billie Jean, you know, we've we've tried and we might need to get a hashtag campaign going at one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she's kind of our patron saint. I feel comfortable saying and I just love, love, love having her. I'd also love, I mean, to really go out uh, in left field and say, Venus Williams. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. you know, she's been so another, you know, trailblazer in the fight for equal pay uh, in women's sports and, you know, definitely doesn't get the credit that she deserves. Uh, that, you know, that would be great, you know, and, and, you know, look, another, you know, another man that I would love to have on is, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, Come on, Colin. Open here. Come you on. Know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we want to get that big exclusive. So there's just but there's so many that I am just so excited to talk to and really just want to have on. I mean, I just feel like we're just never going to run out of options. And that's what's exciting about this work. The other, I yeah. just want to just want to add in here really quickly. Uh, Tim Duncan did not reply to my emails when I cold emailed him. <laughs> and that's okay because Timmy. he wasn't my first choice. Come Becky on, Hammond, I was someone else I would yes. love to have on the show. Oh, what about yes. you, Bryn? Yes. Who do you want on, Bryn? 
I want I want Orlando Pride to answer my desperate emails to interview Marta. I can do it in Portuguese. Entonces, <gasps> obrigada. Come on, uh, Orlando. I want them to answer. It's been a one-year, one-way relationship between <laughs> me and the Orlando Pride. <laughs> and so I've gotten a few emails back, but it's never worked out. So I think Marta should be on our show. I think now that she's playing in the U.S., you know, she needs to join the flamethrower community. So, yeah. Lindsay, do you want to intro your interview with Elena Deladon? All right, friends. This week, it was the Washington Mystics Media Day. WNBA training camps are open and everything is getting started. So I ran down to the Capital One Arena on my lunch break and was able to grab an interview with Elena Deladon. I was so excited. First of all, I want to shout out her two books that she has out right now because she really took it easy this offseason. L of the Ball, which is her... uh, a children's book series that she started and it's really cool she said that she has five more books planned in that series so once again she's taking it easy but she also has an uh, you know an autobiography called my shot balancing it all in standing tall where she really talks about some of the tougher times in her life and her family and how she's gotten to be this really outspoken confident person that she is today The main topic of our discussion was her reaction to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver's remarks uh, over the past, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago. On an ESPN show, Adam Silver was asked about the state of the WNBA, and he made a few negative comments. He kind of said that, you know, we're still trying to figure out a winning formula. All these teams lose money. Maybe we will switch the WNBA season until so that it's more like the natural basketball season. So it's in the fall and winter instead of over the summer. He also expressed a lot of disappointment with the fact that demographically, a lot of WNBA fans are older men and he really wants to get more younger women and he doesn't understand why there aren't more women in the 21 to 34 age range who watch the WNBA and overall, it was a pretty dim and uh, disappointing interview. Deladon pretty much immediately issued a statement via a tweet after this aired. I joked with her that she that she must have had it already drafted. And I think, unfortunately, it's just because she has to make these statements so often these days. But we talked about that. We talked about her response. We talked about her, how she feels about Lisa Borders, the current WNBA president, and how Lisa is doing. We also talked about her experience coming out and the legend that she inspired on the way. And she gives us all some advice at the end. So I'm super excited for you all to hear that. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Lindsay Gibbs, and I am here with 2015 WNBA MVP, all-star, Olympian, et cetera, et cetera, and Washington Mystics, Elena Deladon. Elena, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You have been, over the past couple of years, really transformed into a very outspoken advocate, I would say, for injustices of all kinds, whether it be for LGBTQ rights, whether it be things that the president is saying that, or tweeting, (laughs) and also for the league as a whole. It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate reality that WNBA players or female athletes in general really aren't allowed to just be 
athletes. <laughs> We're just not at that point yet. <laughs> when did you start deciding that this was something that you needed to start speaking up for yourself, for the league, for female athletes everywhere? Just first of all, just kind of growing up and getting comfortable, realizing that my voice can carry and it can impact people. But more than that, just getting like pissed off about things and angry. And when something's not right, like you got to talk about it and state your opinion. And maybe not everybody's going to agree, but I truly believe in my heart that, you know, it's coming from the right place. And I've been living this life of being an athlete. Unfortunately, everybody will say female athlete before <laughs> just calling me an athlete. But it's it's a fight that we're going to have to continue to speak up and uh, just not you know, let people just put us in a corner. And I'm grateful for all the amazing WNBA athletes that are also speaking up and women athletes across the world. I think we're just tired of, you know, the way it's been and we're ready for more change. Adam Silver, it seems like every year or two, there's another statement out from the NBA that is negative about the league. And this time it was, there just aren't enough women fans. Women just aren't watching this. You released, you wrote that up very quickly. <laughs> statement. I read it and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> instantly. Yeah. But you turned it back on him. You said, yes, the NBA supports us, but does it truly invest in us? And does it give us the media that we need? What would you like to see change? Well, first of all, the, the negativity in those comments need to stop because there's enough trolls out there. We need our leaders to be, you know, showing the brightness of the future of the WNBA. Right after that statement was released, I had analytics run on my Instagram account because that's where I'm definitely most active. And 50% of my followers are women in the age group where he said they're not interested. So that's just, I don't believe that. And I believe that just it's hard to be a fan of the WNBA because you can't see us. It's hard to know when our games are on. You have to be a really dedicated fan to like find us and to know to go on live access to watch our games. And there's just so much behind it. So for me, it's like, okay, NBA, even not just investing dollars, but like you have huge platforms. You've got the playoffs right now, but even more important, you have NBA All-Star. Like, what are you doing with us in those moments to capitalize and to show us and to promote the league? And it's just not there. And that wouldn't cost that much money. Even to have some of the WNBA players sitting courtside during All-Star, like, that's simple and that's visibility that we need. How do you feel about the job that Lisa Borders has done? I love that Lisa is a fighter. She's fighting the fight for us and just trying to find different ways to connect with fans and get us players out there. So I feel like we're in such a great position having her as our leader. One of the other things that Adam Silver said, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring up his comments, but it was that, you know, what if we played, uh, what if we did the season through the normal basketball season? That's like... <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> because we wouldn't have our superstars in the league because unfortunately people can make way more money overseas and that's when that season is during the winter. So that's not going to work. We have to find a way to be able to do it in this time frame, and we can. I mean, I just don't think there's been enough of a push and we can do it. But even just from the media standpoint, like I feel like there's such a high percentage of men in the media. So we're getting their story and we need more women like yourself. But like, when would they ask a question about the NBA's future to Lisa Borders? Like, why are you asking that question 
to the NBA commissioner. Let's ask the WNBA commissioner how she feels about the future of the league. I'm sure they're not asking Lisa about the future of the NBA. So that's got to change. In 2016, you decided to publicly come out and talk about your personal life. I talked to Sue Bird last summer, and she actually said that watching you at the Olympics do that inspired her to talk. What does it feel like to hear a legend like that, that you've been able to inspire her in that way? I mean, that just gave me chills. It's just so great to hear that. You know, it's just important to be you and be it unapologetically because you can so, you know, so impact other people that might be going through the same thing. But if you keep your voice quiet and keep your feelings inside, you know, you can't help others. So to inspire someone like Sue, who has inspired me so much and really made my transition to USA basketball easy because she's just such an amazing leader and teammate. It's pretty cool that I was able to somehow give back to her. (laughs) (laughs) The league sits at this interesting intersectionality of you have a lot of African-American players in the league. So it deals with a lot of racism. There's also a lot of homophobia in the league. And then there's the sexism. So you've got this fun triumvirate that the league sits at the center of. Do you think that more than just sexism, that these other factors play into media and especially a lot of the men in the media, (laughs) not knowing how to talk about you as like athletes, as people, as competitors. I'm not sure what it is, like why, like maybe it's out of their comfort zone or what, but like, come on now. It's 2018. We're living in America. It's a melting pot. You know, this all needs to be celebrated. All these incredible women that come from all different areas of life. And you can learn so much from different types of people. So instead of being scared and shying away from it, like let's talk about these amazing stories and let's get into actually like the nitty gritty of people's lives and interesting things. We're not just basketball players. We don't just come to the gym every day, play basketball, go home, lay in bed and wait for the next day to come. Like we all have great stories, cool interests, and we're cool. Like, I don't know that (laughs) comment where... Adam said, you know, we're not reaching our age group, basically. Like, I'm sorry, there's some awesome people in this league. Like, Cappy Pondexter is like a fashionista, like making clothes and doing all this cool stuff. Same with Steph Dolson. Moan has like a collection of really cool cars. Like, nobody's seen that. But if it was an NBA guy, there'd be a show on her with her cars. (laughs) So it's, it's not that we're not cool or not fun to follow. It's just people don't know this about us. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question, a lot of our our listeners do feel like we're all in this together, the fans, the media, the athletes, you know, it's up to all of us to kind of play our part to bring us forward. So what advice do you give to fans or aspiring professional athletes or even collegiate athletes who want to make a difference and really push forward the cause of women in sports? Just continue to use your voice. Luckily, we're at a stage now where we can have social media, we can have a platform where we don't always need somebody to come to us to tell our story. We can push it out ourselves. So continue to use your voice and never shut up. (laughs) Also this week, Amira chatted with Wyoming Tyus, a two-time Olympian, track legend, and now author. They discussed her experiences playing sports in the Jim Crow South, the 1968 Olympics, and the history of athletic protest. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited because your memoir is coming out. It's called Tiger Bell. And I was wondering if you could let us know what can we expect from your memoir? What is it going to talk about? 
Well, it's pretty much my life a little bit, but mostly it talks about from childhood on, and a lot of it is dealing with being a Tiger Bell, and that's being on the Tennessee State, being at school there, on a track team there, and it tells all my great times and my struggles. I think that it is a book that children can have from young to old, and that it talks about a lot of my struggles and talks about a lot of my non-struggles and just what it takes to live a good life, a happy life, and and being strong, being a strong black woman, I like to think. And and especially at the time, I was trying to be that, that in the 60s, uh, doing in living in the South and in the Jim Crow era, and just being very, feeling good about who you are as a person. And I think as a woman, that's, that's the key part that we were not always encouraged to feel great about who we are. And uh, it didn't matter whether you were in sports or whatever you were in, you were not always that given that kind of encouragement. And I would like to think my book shows that no matter how hard the struggle, you can win it. And I like to say all the time, you never, you know, you, you always stay in the fight. Right. That's wonderful. I'm very excited to read it. It's been um, a long time coming. I think we should amplify the voices right, <laughs> of of these tremendous athletes. So at the time that you started getting involved in sports, was it permissible for girls to be running track like <laughs> you were? Did you come up uh, against obstacles? Well, you know I did. It, really? Absolutely you had to. And you're talking about the 50s and the 60s, and uh, young women just were not encouraged to do that. I mean, if you play sports, okay, go out there and play. Don't sweat, so to speak. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't be good, actually. You know, it's, you know, the boys are taught, you know, you fall down, you get up, and you try it again. Young women, oh, you got to hurt. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. That was kind of what was going on when I was growing up. I was just, I feel like really blessed and happy to have parents like I did because my dad, even he was like, you can do whatever you want. Then he would say, baby, you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is try and do If that pleases you, if it makes you happy, then that's great. And he would tell my brothers, I had three older brothers, always, let her play. What are you not doing? What do you mean she can't play because she's a girl? We're not having any of that. Not only that, she is good. And that's the key. You want somebody good on your team. And not so much I can't play the boys. I could, but it, <laughs> but it was more that... You know, he, he he made that come home to my brothers that she's good. You want people that's good on your team. You that's what you want to do. And I, and they, and they got that message. And you're thinking in the fifties and the sixties that was not a message for every young person, especially men, and not for women at all. You know, to be good at what you want to do and be proud of it, and you know, go out there and be the best. They would say, go out there, do your best, but be the best was a different thing. Right. Well, ESPN, the magazine, just put out a list of the dominant. So they're doing dominant athletes, dominant teams. And I think that Tennessee State is one of the most dominant teams in college history or overall. And so you talk about being a Tiger Bell. And actually, a new documentary just came out, uh, Mr. Temple and the Tiger Bells. And I recommend everybody watch it. uh, You're talking head in it. But what do you wish people would know and understand about Tennessee State University and and their uh, dominant track team? Well, I just think. 
for the Tiger Bells, they have been around for years and being around. I mean, we're talking from early fifties and uh, putting over 40 people on an Olympic team, on, on different Olympic teams and bringing home 23 medals and 13 of them gold and something countries don't do. And here you have the small school. As when I was in school, I think it was maybe 1,200 students there. And we had produced, and that produces all these great women, black, uh, black women at that. <laughs> at that. And they, and nobody honors. I just, one thing that really bothers me that Mr. Temple, who's Coach Temple, people call him, but I always call him Mr. Temple, that they never, he really never got his due. He never got his honors. You know, they, I mean, for a person to do as much as he had done, with women, with black women, and nobody says very much about it. I don't think there's ever a team. You know, when you talk about great coaches, I I don't ever hear anybody speaking on how great he was. I mean, you hear people talk about, this coach was so good in ba- at basketball. This coach was, nobody's ever said how great he was. And not only did he do all, put us on Olympic teams, he made sure all his girls graduated. I'd like to know how many people can say that. So uh, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the 1968 Olympic Games, which was your second Olympics. They were in Mexico City. And like I said, you won gold medals there. And a lot of people did. I have said this to you before. I think it's, you know, one of the best, if not the best uh, track teams we've ever fielded. Uh, just the, the power and, and, and on that team was remarkable. But it definitely was overshadowed, of course, by Tommy Smith and John Carlos' medal stand protest that had come after a proposed boycott of the Games. And one of the things that both Tommy Smith and John Carlos, as well as Dr. Harry Edwards, have commented on is that their regret is not reaching out to the Black women that year and including them in the pre-planning of the proposed Olympic boycott. So I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about uh, what 68 meant to you and what you decided to ultimately do at the Games, which was including wearing Black shorts and dedicating your medals to Tommy uh, and John after their protest and after there was action taken against them. But I would love to be able to write Black women back into the story of the 1968 mm-hmm. moment. Well, I think there should be. I, You know, there were two things that happened. I, that, I think one thing especially that bothers me most a lot is the fact that Mountain Manning NIMS now that won the 800 meters. A black woman had never been done before she won the gold medal. And it's 50 years later, and no one in America, I should say, uh, has won a gold medal. And that, and no one talks about that. That is an amazing feat. And it was really important because there's the idea that black women couldn't run distance. Exactly. Exactly. That was a big deal, precisely. It is. And she went up there and she did it. And then uh, for me to go and went back to back 100 meters, nobody's ever heard of that. Nobody thought about it. And I guess they didn't think, we let, we know they didn't think about it. They still don't think about it that I did that. That, and and I think if, if it was a male, figure that did that, we would still be talking about it. And I just think that it takes a lot for people to say, you know, when we, I think about about being included with the whole boycott, when they were talking about it, when it was happening at San Jose State, to me, how do you leave out a group of people? How do you, and uh, and then not only that, these are the people, the, the group of people you're going to leave out are the black women that 
and black women's always supported all the all the causes and as they would say always right there with their man not so much behind their man but right there with them sometimes more in front of that and that you know that we were just not even called upon to even make a statement or say what we thought whether it was the same thing we would they were thinking or not but you know and you know it's not just and the press also had a lot to do with that. You know, they they would call and just talk to Mr. Temple. What do your girls think about this? But it could have been handled another way. But also, I just felt that we should have been included. I think that uh, when you have a woman's point of view, <laughs> it is more inclusive. I feel that way. That when and when you, that if when, and especially with a project like that, and you need more, you need everybody included. You know, it's it's a you know what you were thinking. What were you on the right track? These things, that's things, the thing that need to happen, needed to change, and we should have been right there with the change. And we were just that nobody wrote about it, nobody said anything about it. I mean, you know, from us wearing black shorts for us dedicating it, and nobody, and even on the victory stand, there are pictures where we were given a black power salute, but nobody talks about that. And it's like, and people say, well, what did you do? Did you do anything? Gosh, 50 years and nobody know that, you know, these kinds of things happen and that, you know, the women would just, they were there. It was just that what they had to say or if they were asked, it was never printed. Yeah. yeah. And I think that has a lot of lessons for today as we're watching this kind of uh, renaissance of athletic activism and we see WNBA players being particularly oh, yeah. active and I think that there's a lot of lessons in that and, and remembering women are A, athletes yes, too, yeah, right. but have something to say. Yeah, I, I think so and I think too the other part I'm really loving in this day and time you have so many women of color being a part of sports that we would never even dream of them being a part of, it never was thought of or they would never allow us to be a part of and we have so many, and it's just the fact that, you know, change had to start somewhere. And to me, change started in 68. It was moving on. And it's just now women are getting more empowered and being well listened to a lot more. And that's, I think that's more, that's great. I think it's not just on the athletic field, it's everywhere. And that's what we need in order to make a change. And that, you know, all of, the, you know, change is good. And, the, and then Title IX uh, came, and that made a whole big difference. But it also made a big difference in black schools too, mm-hmm. colleges and universities. In that, that a lot of the pro, you know, you were getting like with Mr. Temple's program could never happen and ever because you know nobody else was doing it when he was doing it. And then now at all schools are equal. You know, they have women's sports, and you have to be equal in that. Which is, and uh, so now all schools are great recruiting. It's, you know, you can see that all the time. And uh, so students are going to say, well, I don't want to be in Tennessee. I prefer being in California yeah. <laughs> type thing. And um, yeah. so that's, to me, what has happened with that, what happened with the women's sports. Not that it's a bad thing. But it's definitely it's a legacy like say, that we don't have. talk about as much. We have this idea about the cost of integration for black college football, for instance, mm-hmm. that 
when they started integrating colleges, black college gotcha, football started declining. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that for women's sports, mm-hmm. you have that same legacy happening after exactly. Title IX. And for black programs, especially Fish. these programs like Tennessee State and Tuskegee mm-hmm. that were vanguards and were the first the to give scholarships and do all of these things, this was really the, the start of the decline of them mm-hmm. because of resources and racism and mm-hmm. all, all of that. this kind of stuff. And I think that's really important to talk about. I think so too. And I think it should be talked about a lot more because I don't think everybody get the gist of it. And I think what we're saying here is just a little, the touch of the iceberg, you know? And I think a lot of times people might hear this little snippet and go, wow, wow, they saying that? That's not... It is true, you know. It is true in the sense that you know, if you look at it and you, you research it, it would tell you right then. You know, we all want progress. It's not that we're not wanting that and we're not seeing, but these, you know, you think about when I know people that are really in at Tennessee State. I mean, I know Mr. Temple would say, you know, I just can't, my program, I can't, I can't compete. You know, I can't give, you know, I can't give what these big schools are giving. I can't. And you don't want, you know, you people want to go to the schools and that's great. And they have the grades to go. It's not. And that's the other thing. <laughs> you you just can't want to go and go. But you have to have the grades to go and all of that. And, you know, when it was just Tuskegee and Tennessee State, you know, they had a monopoly on it. And things have changed. But in all that change, we're losing a lot of what what we call history, our right. history. Right. And I just have one last question. You talked about the importance of pay equality, and there's been a lot of conversations in recent years about pay equity in sports for women, and then also about amateurism within mm-hmm. college ranks. And, and um, we talked about your work aid scholarship, $10 a week. Um, and I was just... A month. A month. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. $10 a month. And... And I think that we're at a moment where a lot of labor issues have come to the forefront and women athletes aren't paid as much as men. Mm -hmm. Uh, College athletes, particularly black college athletes, are caught in this kind of exploitative system where Mm -hmm. schools are making billions of dollars off their their back. But a lot of times when people try to defend against this, they say, oh, but if we pay men athletes, the women's sports are going to disappear. And this week, my coworker wrote a piece that said, well, Stop using Title IX as a shield and really just pay everybody. <laughs> and so I, w- I, I think that uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on issues of pay equality within women's sports. And if you thought, have we, have we made progress? What work is there to be done? Where are we about paying women athletes? <laughs> well, a long ways away. I know that. That's number one. I mean, I've always one, I mean, I retired after 68, and then uh, about five years later, I decided to go back because they started a pro track tour, and I thought athletes should be paid because I know what a struggle it was for so many athletes to, I mean, I was okay because I was, I got three meals a day in college. I got all that stuff paid for, but people that were not in college, it was very difficult for them to find, uh, have a job, and especially for women, to have a job, to be able to work at a job and get the person that they're working for. Could I go to, I have to go to Europe for three weeks? And okay. they said, well, why? You don't have a job when you get back. So I've always, I've always felt that athletes should be paid. And why, I mean, why is it that because you run track or why is it because you want to be in the Olympic Games, you should not be paid? That means if you're in the Olympic Games, you're the best in the world. You should be paid for your talent. I've always felt that. And now that it's starting to come around, but when it started to come around, of course, 
women were, are way, way, way on the back burner. And then like, we're never, and it's like, when are we going to see equal pay when, when it comes to that? I mean, I can think about athletes. I don't, I don't know how it is now, but I'm sure in like in track and field, I would hope that they get the same amount, but from the, what I hear, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and, and the same thing. I just think that why wouldn't you, you want, you want the best, you want to pay, for, you pay the best basketball player, you pay the best baseball player. Why is it you can't pay the best woman? And then if they're showing you entertainment, what you want, you coming out to see. I mean, I can remember when, UConn was winning all those games all the time, and people started to say, oh, God, they, that team always win. I don't even want to see basketball because they always win. They never said that when the Cowboys were winning all those teams, winning all those championships. I never. I want to see more of the Cowboys. I want the Cowboys to be the one. And it's like, well, what's the – I don't understand the difference, and I think people need to, you know, take a bigger – Look at the big picture because here they look at it, and it's uh, to me it goes back to you know, women are so you know they're not on it they don't they're weak they they don't do give us a good show but you know I don't know why not I mean if anybody looked at the final four this year exactly, <laughs> exactly. we had a field day talking about that last week yeah, yeah. I it's I mean I think and then I guess the people that were so upset with UConn not winning they must be very happy now so, so UConn have not won in two years straight now <laughs> and, but they don't even know yeah exactly <laughs> you know it's and, and we need to increase coverage for women's sports so that people can see this it's great, great talent, talent you know? yeah and I think too that I I. I do think in this past Olympics and all that, and with the emerging of a lot of women in color coming to the forefront, and women and things you have not seen, like in gymnastics and all of that, and just the fact that people are looking at that and saying, it used to be if somebody was like uh, Simone, that, oh, that's just too muscular. And, and that, they see now that that's what, you know, it's not too muscular. That's been athletic. You know? But when men are doing it, it's, oh, yeah, good, strong. That's what you, how you have to be. Why does it make a difference whether you're a man or woman? You want to, as I go back to, you want to see the best. You want the best to be there. In order for that to happen, we have to encourage our women to do that. And we have to insist that the press cover it differently. And, you know, and when women do something uh, and they don't say and and we have to educate the announcers because some of the things they say about women in certain sports, it's like and I mentioned this in my book. That's something I talk about in my book. So. Please go out there and buy that. (laughs) Tiger Bell, why don't we tell you a story? But I talk about that and how, you know, there's such a big difference. And I don't understand. you When you're looking at sports, you want to see the best. You want to see who's doing. And if it's females that are better, that's all the best. It lets you know what the world is all about. That's what the world is. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us today. Thanks for having me. And go get the book. Well, yes, please do. <laughs> so partly why we started Burn It All Down was we thought sports media kind of sucked at diversity and sexism. Shireen, do you think it's any better this year? Oh, Brenda. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about diversity in sports media. And I just want to 
uh, give a warning to the listeners not to die of non-surprise. So this is from the AP May 2nd, 2018. I'm just going to read a little bit of this from the article. Quote, the number of jobs held by people of color and women in sports departments at newspapers and at websites has improved slightly, but remains low with most positions dominated by white males, according to a study released Wednesday. Now, this report was actually by Florida's Central Central Florida's Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport. And what ended up happening was overall, it was a B for racial hiring, a D plus for overall hiring practices, and for the fifth time, a fail for gender hires and jobs that include sports editor, columnist, reporter, and copy editor. Now, we're kind of like, okay, well, we see this in every person of color I know and in sports media is like, this is not a shock. We can tell you by looking at our own, you know, the boardrooms, we can look at the staff, we can look at freelance, we can look at publishing. But it's interesting because the Women's Media Center, and I'm actually listed as one of their quote unquote experts uh, with the Women's Media Center, which seeks to diversify and amplify women in marginalized marginalized communities in different fields. They did a, a Media Center report and the one that they actually on journalism and the most recent one, 2017, they say that the number of female assistant sports editors at 100 U.S. and Canadian newspapers and websites fell roughly by half between 2012-2014 from 17.2% to all such editors to 9.8%. So that actually fell. And then, you know, again, when I do public speaking and I refer to this, I refer to the other, they, they do an annual sort of report and checkup in 2014. In sports journalism, they reported the Women's Media Center, 90% is male and 90% is white sport editors. So, you know, these aren't quotes that we're making up. And I think it's really important to to recognize here that other than the Women's Media Center, these reports that come out, like the one from Central Florida's Institute, don't actually have statistics on women of color. They'll just have people of color and women because the women of color stats are non-existent or so low. And and, and I think that's something to keep in mind as, you know, sort of we look at this and, you know, unpack it, that that's how sad it is. And I live in Toronto and I have a really good friend, friend of the show named Morgan Campbell, and he works for Toronto Star, which is Canada's biggest sport, like biggest daily. There's one person of color in the entire sports department. And, huh. you know, we, wow. we live supposedly in one of the most diverse cities in the world. That's just, wow. uh, we can delve into that. And then, you know... Rightly so. There's, you know, there's other, I know that Jess, you had mentioned that Barstool is getting bigger with more white men. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, everyone's favorite sports <laughs> to talk about sports site. Yeah, Barstool's, apparently Twitter Sports announced that they're going to bring a Twitter only monthly sports show called Barstool Live, featuring the hosts of Part of My Take. And maybe you all remember that those hosts tried to have an ESPN show and that sort of got booed off the air. But now Twitter is going to give them a space, which, you know, Twitter sports in general is pretty garbage when it comes to diversity as like they barely cover women's sport to begin with. So I guess it's not that surprising. One of the interesting things about the AP sports editor stat is how much ESPN skews the whole thing. I think it's really important to recognize that as bad as the stats are, they would be so much worse if ESPN 
did not do the kind of hiring they do. So they found that 82 people of color who are either sports editors or assistant sports editors, 53 of them work for ESPN. Of the 89 women who are assistant sports editors, 75 work for ESPN. And of the 44 women who are columnists at what the study calls A newspapers and websites, 38 worked for ESPN. So, I mean, I always think about that anytime I am criticizing ESPN and they deserve criticism for their coverage. This is a big part of um, what they do well. And they they stand alone in, in it. And it's really striking to think if they didn't do such a good job, what these stats would be like. And and it brings us to Britt McHenry's claim this week that she was demoted at ESPN for being white. I think it's yes. worth. I think it's worth talking about that. Can we just laugh at it? Can we just laugh? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I, yes. I just like don't like giving her any it. attention. We deserve it. In our year, Britt McHenry has been on the burn pile at least twice, maybe three times, and she's pointedly discussed hating the show. So I would like to. I would like to. That's one of my proudest to, to, moments, actually. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So, I mean, Linz, you you wanted to jump in here? Yeah, I refuse to give her any attention. I know that's like a really, <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't do it. I just, I'm just so over like that nonsense. Well, Lindsay, but- clearly you don't care about reverse racism. Yes, you know what? That is the truest thing you've ever said. That is, that is true. That is one hundred percent. It's hard to care about something that is doesn't exist. It, it doesn't ever. exist. It doesn't. You know, I, I have often been persecuted. So no, no, it's just so bad, so bad. But you know, I had this wonderful moment. So I just uh, I was at the Washington Mystics Media Day, and you will hear in a little bit an interview from that day, but. I love the media there because it's so many women of color <laughs> and and women. And it's just, it's incredible. And, and they're so young. And a lot of them are working for smaller independent sites. But there's also uh, the Washington Post uh, reporter, Ava Wallace, who we've had on this show before, is there. And it, it's just a reminder that I hope that the future of this is bright and that we have to keep giving people from all backgrounds, opportunities in this. Of course, Washington, D.C. is more diverse, so that is a nice bonus. But the Washington Post is another place that we want to give a shout out to who has done a really great job. Uh, they have they have women uh, female beat reporters on all of their major sports beats right now, you know, and it's a diverse group as well. And it's uh, it's lovely working in a city where that is much more the norm than the exception. However, I'll never forget last year going to the the Maryland women's basketball game during the NCAA tournament is was when they were hosting a game in the first round. And I walked into the, I, I was, I got a little lost trying to find the interview room and I walked in late and I was, it was, it was jam packed because it was NCAA tournament, but I was literally the only woman. Wow. <laughs> and I, it was first time that it happened to me. First time that it happened to me in a while. <laughs> I was just, it was, I was taken aback. I was suddenly just super cognizant of the fact that I was wearing a dress and heels <laughs> and just, you know, I just felt super out of place. So there's still a long way to go. And we have to lift up the places that are doing a good job. And we need to keep pushing others to to keep doing better and to say that, look, this isn't that hard. You just have to be purposeful about it. And you have to think of it as something that is beneficial. Jessica, you had you talked a little bit earlier this week about a new initiative, the She Is 
Yeah, it's an it's a new initiative from the WNBA National Pro Fast Pitch, Canadian Women's Hockey League, the National Women's Hockey League, Women's Professional Lacrosse League, and the USA Tennis Association. And it's this, you know, these groups have banded together. They want to create support at all levels of sport from profe- professional to grassroots. But beyond sort of representation, they want to support each other and, you know, create bigger audiences for women's sport, which is really great. It was it's interesting, though, that, you know, we've talked a lot about the lack of coverage for women's sport. And I do want to point Dave Barry. He wrote a great piece of uh, Forbes about she is and talked about Adam Silver's comments about the WNBA and how they need to do more work (laughs) in order to build marketing. And Dave pointed out that women's sports leagues are simply different from men's sports leagues because men's sports leagues don't rely solely on their own efforts or the efforts of other men's sports leagues to create consumer demand for their product. The league Adam Silver leads, like all major North American sports leagues, relies on an immense amount of free coverage from the sports media and handouts from politicians to attract fans. So, you know, I'm thrilled to see all these women band together. It's sort of, you know, history repeating itself, women doing it for themselves. But um, they also shouldn't have to. But it does make sense when we talk about lack of diversity and the sports media that the sort of flip side of that is then women's sports have to do all this for themselves. Well, and historically, I think women organizing collectively independently of, of associations has been a lot more successful than we ever give it credit for. So the idea is, oh, FIFA's developing, blah, blah, blah. FIFA underdevelops women's soccer. And, you know, look at the tennis, what Billie Jean King had to do on the tennis circuit. So it seems like it's, it is like a, maybe an unfortunate truth, but it does seem like we need to accept the fact that women collectively organizing independently have gotten themselves a lot further than waiting for men to like get the picture. Right. get on board for that kind of a thing. Shereen, is there anything you're excited about right now in media and women's sport? Well, actually, thank you for mentioning that. I just finished this incredible, we're on the tail end of this Muslim Women in Sport Network. We had a virtual summit that I talked about for the What's Good. It happened this weekend. It was a global conference, an online summit, and it was involving people. uh, The organizers, co-organizers are in London, Saudi Arabia, New Zealand, and Australia, and then I'm in Toronto. So you can imagine our conference call timings were like ridiculous (laughs) to suit everybody. But um, it was just, it was literally a dream come true for me. And we have the YouTube videos up. They will not stay up past this weekend, but then by the time this goes to air they'll be off but until we decide what to do with them hopefully make them accessible to everybody but it was just the idea of Muslim women taking back their own narratives and speaking for themselves which is a theme commonly expressed everything from business research modest sportswear athlete activism we talked about it all and you know I was in a session yesterday with Hajar Abdul Fazl and Fatma Abdul Qadir uh, Hajar is a former captain of the Afghan women's national team and Fatima runs Hodi Africa and she was on from Nairobi and she was talking about the work she's done and as she was speaking I like teared up and then we had yesterday this particular session on sports and development was Yasmin Shabsokh and Hanin Khatib, who were part of the Jordan Quest, which we talked about as well, who played the match and the work that they do in their local communities. And these are all women that do work in different regions of the world, but their stories overlap in so many ways. And to hear that was like, it, I, it was really emotional for me. Like I kept it together 
So I moderated the panel. But uh, so there's these kinds of things that are popping up. There's like sites for people of color and, and women of color. And these kinds of things I find very important because the idea of Jess, you said this many years ago. Well, not many, like three, I think. And it has always stuck with me that who tells a story is as important as what the story is. And I will, that's something I will take with me forever as, you know, we keep, you know, marching forward. Linz, you want to wrap us up here? Yeah, thank you. That actually is the perfect setup, Shireen, (laughs) because I wanted to show a few statistics about why this really matters, that this isn't just to feel better. You know, this isn't just for bragging rights or so that we can look at, you know, these boards, you know, look more like America. This matters who is telling the story. And we're not doing a good job right now. There was a 2017 study by uh, Dr. Cynthia Frisbee, uh, an associate professor of strategic communications at the University of Missouri. I wrote about this at Think Progress, and there's a link in the show notes. But she performed a media study to compare the ways that media talked about women in the 2012 Olympics versus the 2016 Olympics. And she found that basically coverage of these women got more racist and more sexist over that time period. She actually found that the number of microaggressions against female athletes in the media increased by a staggering 40% between the 2012 Olympics and the 2016 Olympics. And she unsurprisingly found that female athletes of color were subjected to more microaggressions than white athletes. And these microaggressions relate to second-class citizenship, restrictive gender roles, and commentary that relates to their body shape and body image. She also found that coverage of sports we consider to be more stereotypically masculine, such as basketball, weightlifting, and boxing, were more likely to be laden with microaggressions. So that's depressing. We're going in the wrong direction. And until we really boost up, uh, one way to help this is to boost Change the change who's telling the story and make that makes the other people who are telling these stories much more aware of the stories that they're telling as well. In another study, which was from a 2015 report by Women's Media Center, found that U.S. uh, print media's coverage of campus rape and sexual assault is, quote, significantly skewed towards the bylines and voices of men, particularly when it comes to sports. Overall, the study found that 55% of stories written about campus sexual assault were authored by men, and that disparity increased dramatically in the sports section, where 64% of stories about campus sexual assault were authored by men, and only 7% by women. The remaining had staff bylines, so they couldn't figure out the gender. And from that, male sports writers sourced other men 81% of their time in stories about (laughs) sexual assault in sports, while they quoted women only 7% of the time. And that was a stark difference from journalists overall, which means that the sports world is much worse at this. And female sports writers, however, quoted other women 49% of the time in their stories. So 7% to 49%. (laughs) That's a huge difference. And that source breakdown makes a difference because the study found that just 10% of men sourced in the stories studied addressed the impact that this assault had on the alleged victim compared to 22% of the women quoted. So it matters. (laughs) This is why it matters. Because when we're talking about things like 
sexual assault in sports or violence against women, when we're talking about female athletes and their accomplishments, the story is not being told right. And that is partly because it's being told by the wrong people. Sad but true. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment where we burn the racist, sexist, and otherwise awful things that have happened this week in sports. Jessica, do you want to light the first match? So it was reported this week that Bella and Marta Caroli have filed a lawsuit against USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic Committee. USA Gymnastics was supposed to buy the Caroli's Texas Ranch, but canceled the sale after many gymnasts announced that Larry Nasser, who we've talked about repeatedly on this program, had abused them there, that they felt the Caroli's didn't do enough to protect them, and that they never wanted to return to the ranch. The Crowley's lawsuit, they're seeking damages owed under the purchase agreement, quote unquote, stigma damages for the loss of market value of the ranch, as well as punitive damages and attorney's fees. The Crowley's were silent for a long time about Larry Nasser, but now they say they didn't know anything about his abuse. But whoops, it was unearthed that in a 2017 deposition, Marta Caroli said former USA Gymnastics president Steve Penny told her in June of 2015 that Nasser had abused gymnasts at the ranch. It also turns out that Nasser treated athletes at the ranch without having a Texas medical license. On top of all of this, multiple gymnasts are suing the Crowleys and have spoken up about the abusive behavior they faced from the Crowleys, and that this abuse created an environment where someone like Larry Nasser could abuse without impunity. When abuse is an integral part of coaching, how are these young girls and women supposed to be able to recognize other forms of abuse as out of bounds? The Crowleys aren't victims here, and they need to just crawl back under whatever rock they finally emerged from. I do want to quickly note that the way physical and sexual abuse coexists in gymnastic spaces is not only limited to female victims or only in the United States. Dozens of male gymnasts in Brazil have recently come forward to report a famed coach for sexual abuse and about general abuse in the sport. So I just want to burn all of this. Burn. 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 Lens. Yeah, building on the Crowleys a little bit, they gave a Dateline interview on NBC News a couple of weeks ago. And in that interview, which was their first big uh, talk on the Nasser topic, they said that the FBI still had not interviewed them. Let me repeat that. Two and a half years after the FBI was first notified about allegations of Nasser's abuse, it still has not conducted interviews with Bella and Martha Crowley. This builds on the fact that the FBI took nearly 10 months to really get their investigation into Nasser off of the ground. During those 10 months, he was still abusing seeing patients and abusing them at Michigan State. The FBI has done a terrible job investigating the Nasser case and the fact that they still haven't talked to the Crowleys is a sign that it's not getting any better and we need to demand more from our institutions including the federal ones burn FBI burn <laughs> burn burn <laughs> I mean not literally please don't arrest me love you okay <laughs> Shereen Yes, this uh, actually is uh, something that's a little bit closer to home, Canada. And we've talked about Humboldt recently, the tragedy and how much hockey means to this country and, and to many people in it. Unfortunately, racism 
in hockey doesn't mean as much. Now, Giovanni Smith of the Kitchener Rangers was suspended for two games by the Ontario Hockey League because this particular uh, player, he's a Detroit Red Wings prospect, was seen giving the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds bench the middle finger. But what the refs didn't see or hear was the racial abuse he received and that he was responding to. And after a late, and I'll quote this from the link on the record, which we'll have in the show notes, quote, after a late season game in Sarnia, one fan tried to get at Smith in the team's dressing room. Uh, We had an incident during the regular season where a fan somehow got access to our tunnel. It was a game where he, Smith, had been sent to the room early because he had misconduct. Fan poked his head in and yelled a racial slur down the hall. I'm not going to repeat it, but it wasn't good. That's Rangers GM Mike McKenzie. Now, I don't know of a racial slur that is good, but point taken. And I mean, I just want to absolutely burn this because not only did the Ontario Hockey League not rescind that ban yet on him that he's been suspended I think that this goes to a deeper issue that they're not willing to address and I'm not here for it and he's one of the few black players in the Ontario Hockey League incredibly talented really good record and I want to burn it burn burn My burn this week comes from listener Janine Tassarsik-Kutzner. So we'd like to thank her for her suggestion. This week, new and awful details emerged about hostile sexist practices at Nike. The New York Times ran a really great story about it. We'll put it in the show notes. Basically, while this isn't about sports directly, Nike's logo graces sports installations and athletic bodies are all around the world. And so it, it should be a huge sports story. If we're wearing this on our bodies and we know what kinds of things are going on, it's, it, it's a really important story that isn't somehow being picked up at all by sports outlets, not really surprising because of the power that Nike has. And this is all coming to, to, to the fore because of a covert survey administered by women inside of Nike's Beaverton, Oregon headquarters. And so we'd, I'd also like to, at the same time, burn also, I don't know, give a special sort of shout out to their efforts in, in doing this. They, they've, they've really like pushed this issue and shown how terrible the human resources department is there. And as a result, many top Nike executives are resigning. I would just like to say, though, I mean, great for the New York Times, but I'd also like to burn the idea that people are surprised by this. Nike traffics in child labor all around the world. We know this. We've known that there's books and books. So the fact that a company that that actively exploits children, boys and girls, is also a terrible discriminatory place where sexual harassment is rampant should be somehow connected in these reports. This is a a, a corporate sort of entity monster that's done a, a lot of bad things for a very long time. But I'm glad that this is getting new attention and I'm in awe of the women who are doing it. And I'd like to burn Nike just kind of period. Burn. If that's okay. If we can just throw yeah. Nike burn. on that pile. Burn. 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 Okay, on to a much happier topic, our badass women of the week who have made uh, great strides. Our honorable mentions for this week go to AJ Malesko, the first woman to work as an in-booth analyst in the NHL postseason, Castor Semenya, who claimed a a victory in the 1500 meters in the first event of the season of the Diamond League, 
and for her general grace, given the attacks she's constantly suffering by the IAAF. Becky Hammond, who's being interviewed by the Milwaukee Bucks for their head coaching job. We can write a letter of recommendation anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Kim Pagula for being the only and first female president of an NFL team and NHL team after Russ Brandon resigned after a, quote, internal investigation into Brandon's workplace behavior and allegations of personal misconduct. So best of luck to Kim. And Chelsea Women's Football Club, who won the FA Cup last Saturday in the final over Arsenal with a score of 2-0. Attendance smashed last year's record with a, with a number of 45,423. And can I get a drum roll? Oh, oh man. Something we have not gotten better at over a year. It's charming. <laughs> it's charming. It's it's rustic. It's, it's, it's DIY. Vintage, vintage, you know. <laughs> it goes to the Mexican Women's National League. And I don't want to say one team or one person. It has been a group effort from the beginning. They're in their second year. And the final topped 50,000 for a place where women have battled constantly to play football at all that has no support from the Mexican Men's Federation to to have achieved its second year of professional football soccer and and we've covered it since the beginning it is exceptional so congratulations to the entire Mexican Women's League yay, yay. hey what's good what's good jessica Yeah, so as I said last week, I'm super into the Great British Baking Show, and it's made me want to bake all the time. And so what's been good in my world is Stella Parks. She has an amazing baking cookbook called Brave Tart. It recently won the James Beard Award for Baking and Desserts Books category. It's that good. And so far, I've made her pineapple upside down cake and honey roasted peanut butter cookies. And y'all, this week, I'm making her homemade hostess cupcakes, those chocolate cupcakes with the cream in the middle and the white popping piping on top. And I last night made the homemade Cool Whip that will go inside the cupcakes. It's amazing. So Brave Tart is a delight. It's super delicious. And it is what is making my entire world very good. Thanks for inviting me over, Anytime. Jess. I'll be there at 10. Okay. okay. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Why can't baked goods stay good longer? I know. You could, you could know. find a way to get them to us. Shireen? Shireen's what's good. So I already talked a little bit about the conference, which I'm still really, really on a high on. <laughs> and Ramadan is actually around the corner. And so we're trying to get, you know, sort of focused on that and everything. And I right now I am actually really excited about Mohammed Salah of Liverpool. And that's something I never thought I would say in my life that I'm excited about Liverpool Football Club. But uh, there's a lot of really interesting discussions happening about him. And I'm thinking about actually uh, penning something about it. I'm not going to give too much away, but just sort of like his effect and what he's done in terms of other songs that are being sung by Liverpool fans about things like, you know, he's a, you know, I, I want to be like Mohammed Salah and I want to convert. And it's just really interesting because I never in a million years thought that these would be songs sung by people in Liverpool about like this Muslim guy. It's just, it's just very interesting. So that's, that's good. And he brings a lot of joy. So that's always good. What's good for me is actually not traveling this week. 
or next week or the week after and staying put for a little while in Argentina and getting into a a kind of routine. I love traveling, but it's going to be nice to kind of stay here and it's cooler for it's the opposite weather, so it's fall here and it's cooler and beautiful and rainy and I love rain because there's no pressure to pretend to be happy all the time. You know how you can like feel like summer, you've got to go and do a million things cuz that's it, it's summer. Well, I guess not in Austin, but in, <laughs> but in in Argentina, it's nice to to be rainy and feel like you can just sort of enjoy the fall and the cool down and fewer mosquito bites. So that's what's good for me. And Lindsay, what's good for you? Us. <laughs> this has been my refuge for the year, but also, uh, I guess <laughs> the NBA playoffs have really been fun. Uh, I'm still buzzing from LeBron James game winner last yes. night or Saturday night at this point at the end of game three. And I'm just having a lot of fun watching them, although I'm a little disappointed at how well Boston is doing because goodness, Philly is so much fun to watch. I love Joel Embiid, but they're, they just don't seem quite ready for it. And I, Boston sports fans are all, hi, Amira, <laughs> are already, are, are, are already some of the most obnoxious sports fans. And the fact that they're doing this well without Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving means they're just going to be insufferable, even more insufferable. So that's not good. But overall, loving the NBA playoffs. What a fun escape. Well, that's it for this week. Our one year anniversary on Burn It All Down. Yay! Happy birthday. No, I'm not going to sing. I have a terrible voice, as Brenda pointed out. <laughs> what? I did no such thing. I would like to say for the record that I reassured Shireen she can do anything singing included. Uh, and uh, I would like to say for the record that I vetoed singing. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> the last time I sang on this show, it didn't go well. That's so not just true. Like to say, and it's... <laughs> You know the birthday out song. There forever. The birthday song in Arabic is really, really good. It's called Sana Halwa Ya Gamil, and it's it's not the happy birthday. It's more like it sounds like a belly dancing song. It's like so great. So maybe we can do a little YouTube link to that because it's just really, really fun. It just makes you want to dance. We can do a Patreon segment with us singing that version oh, if you want. That might. Okay, no, I don't want to sing it. I want to. <laughs> I want to dance to it. I don't want to sing. Okay, no singing. Okay, well, dance is even harder, Shireen, okay? Okay. So we'll sing you dance, okay? (laughs) Okay. I love you all. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe, rate, and let us know what we do well and how we can improve the show. We're we're really, we love your feedback and, and your contribution over the past year. You can also find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, or on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. And you can email us at Burn It All Down Pod at gmail.com. Also, check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would really appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating on on the Patreon site as well, which helps us to keep doing the work that we love to do and burning what needs to be burned. So on behalf of Amira, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, Jessica, Lindsay, Shireen, I'm Brenda Elsie, and we love and thank you for the joy that this show has brought us. And I'm sorry.